Join leading executives from ITV, Channel 4, Sky, Marks & Spencer, Heineken, and many more for a dedicated day of networking and panels at the Telecast Brand-Funded Entertainment Summit at Advertising Week Europe on Thursday the 16th of May at 180 Studios in London. Panel discussions will explore how to work with UK broadcasters in brand-funded entertainment, navigating the world of compliance, IP and distribution, creator partnerships, the future of digital branded content, brand-funded podcasts, and more. Delegate tickets are available now via telecast.com forward slash events at a very special discounted rate of £350 plus VAT which also grants delegates access to more than 100 sessions at the event over all three days from the 14th to the 16th of May. Join company presidents and CEOs, founders, futurists, influencers, agencies and execs from brands including Coca-Cola, TikTok, Google, Activision Blizzard, LinkedIn, Netflix and Deliveroo. Plus, celebrities including Drive Tribe's Richard Hammond and pop legends take that. Telecast Brand-Funded Entertainment Summit in association with 53 Degrees North Media at Advertising Week Europe on the 16th of May 2024. Get your tickets now at telecast.com forward slash events and level up your knowledge and contacts in the world of brand-funded entertainment. Telecast, the TV industry news review. Welcome to our third and final MIPCOM special show. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Jake Cantor, international editor at Deadline Hollywood. Welcome, Jake. Your first time on the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Well, it's great to have you uh, have you on the show. And uh, how are you finding MIPCOM? This is our last MIPCOM special show. It's obviously been very different. We've covered that off. It's been a different market. How have you seen it? Uh, it's been a very strange three days. Uh, I'm obviously uh, in more normal times, we'd be perhaps sitting in a bar somewhere um, <laughs> and yeah. uh, ruminating, ruminating on the on the on the market and the gossip that we've picked up and the people that we've met and the shows that we've seen generating a bit of buzz. There's kind of been none of that. I mean, the the, the biggest buzz we've had is the kind of glow of our screens. Unfortunately, uh, that's the only heat that has been really generated in the market. It's almost been a bit unsettling how quiet it is. Really, it's usually chocker with announcements. My inbox is always bursting with uh, with press releases around this time of year but it's it's been quieter there have been clearly fewer deals the stature of those deals has not been as high profile I think it's just sort of a it, it speaks to the two things I mean clearly uh, the pandemic has uh, has had an impact on when studios are announcing shows and deals many studios are hosting their own showcases for buyers so we've seen the likes of itv studios sony bbc studios have also uh, done their own thing they you know they're going direct to market and talking to their clients uh, in a much more regular way they're, they're, they're reaching out on a more consistent basis and it's not focused around two times a year uh, these conversations are going on all the time uh, and the second thing I would say is it sort of speaks to the the, the fragmenting of, of MIPCOM. I think MIPCOM is really important because it brings the industry together. There's no substitute for that physical interaction. 
But what we're seeing less of at MIPCOM is the deal-making that perhaps used to happen. Uh, It's not the place where people go to strike lots of agreements, both for finished tape and for uh, shows that they're selling off paper. It's much more of a networking opportunity, a chance to refresh uh, relationships and to catch up with people that you're friends with in the industry. Yeah, and it's 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 somewhat of a launch pad as well, isn't it, for for these deals sometimes as well. As you say, these uh, conversations are going on throughout the year, and and MIPCOM is is that launch pad. And we we've, we've been seeing over recent years bigger and bigger talent coming to MIPCOM to launch their new uh, new big drama series, for example, or unscripted projects. So we're we're just seeing it it it, it evolve, aren't we? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things I, mean, I spoke to uh, 10 distribution chiefs uh, over the last couple of weeks just to get a sense of where they're at. And um, Louise Pedersen, the chief executive at All3 Media International, I mean, she said one of the things she's going to miss most is sort of generating heat around shows. And uh, she said that things can really steamroll at a market. They can pick up momentum quite quickly through word of mouth. And, and when I say word of mouth, I mean genuine word of mouth, people talking to each other while they're milling around the closet. That element of the the market has just not been there. And the other thing I'd say about that is, this is uh, uh, something that a couple of other people said to me, is there's not that opportunity to kind of peek over other people's fences. You can't go to the market and uh, and just have a little look at what your competitors are up to. And I think that is a huge part of what makes these festivals so vibrant and fun and what has been lacking from a virtual festival. You can't, you can't do those things in the same way. That's really interesting, actually. I hadn't considered that. I mean, certainly I'd considered the ability to instigate or fan the flames of a bidding war around a really particular hot property i mean i've certainly seen that over the years and that and that's when a market can really come into its own that that real sort of human interaction and and buzz that you can create around a property but i hadn't considered a lot of these uh, big distribution companies looking at what the competition's doing and perhaps looking and adapting that into their own strategy definitely yeah I mean, it, it clearly goes on i mean it it's part of the fun of a market, isn't it? You hear what your rivals are up to. You sort of collect gossip and market intelligence. And the other thing that one of the other interesting things is that studios increasingly use MIPCOM and you know other similar markets as an opportunity to to refresh their sort of internal communications. They they gather, they come together as colleagues, and you know have brainstorming sessions, or they you know they go out and uh, they you know they 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 entertain each other. They they are chances to catch up with colleagues that you may not see all all year round and that has been absent as well well that's an interesting aspect and and something that you know one aspect that that we've we've all missed a little bit how about deals that you've noticed over the last few days jake Uh, i gather there's uh hbo mac have been snapping up a few shows that's right it's it's, generally it's been fairly slim pickings in terms of really sort of eye-catching deals but the one thing that's become quite noticeable in the last few days is that HBO Max has become really aggressive in the international market. Uh, we're talking today on, on the Wednesday, and they've uh, announced that uh, Adult Material, which is a Channel 4 uh, drama, porn star series uh, starring Hayley Squires, that's been picked up uh, by HBO Max from uh, Banerjee, Banerjee Writes. And, you know, that's a show that has generated quite a bit of buzz over here in the UK. And I'm sure will perform well for HBO Max. Another big buzzy show here in the UK, I Hate Susie, 
which was the sort of phone hacking drama from Succession's Lucy Preble and uh, stars Billy Piper, who also co-created it. Uh, that has also been picked up by uh, HBO Max. So those are two sort of pretty chunky, uh, exciting UK dramas that that have come in and swooped for. Another series, again announced today, was a series called Possessions from Studio Canal, which is a French-Israeli series in which a woman is charged with murder, uh, uh, the murder of her husband on the night of their wedding. And then another big Israel-led uh, project called Valley of Tears, which depicts the uh, 1973 Yom Kippur War through the eyes of uh, young combatants and soldiers. Isn't that the, the most expensive Israeli TV project ever? That's right, yeah, yeah. And that, that, I mean, I guess that kind of underlines the ambition of what HBO Max want, doesn't it? I mean, and, and that's no surprise when they're competing with the likes of Netflix and, and Amazon uh, in, in a market which is becoming so intensely competitive. And then the other thing, I mean, th- those are all dramas, but they are close to announcing a deal with Banerjee Rights for the Channel 4 show The Bridge, which is a reality competition series which launched here in the UK over the weekend, in which contestants build a bridge to an island uh, but uh, they're going to come on board as a co-producer in that so and jen, i mean jen kim who's the international originals chief uh, over at hbm she kind of hinted at um some of this at the edinburgh television festival um so she's really made good on her promise uh, this is slightly unrelated but uh but there is a connection we saw a lot of tabloid news in the uk tabloids in particular around lily james and dominic west who were photographed <laughs> in an embrace in Paris, and we certainly saw a lot of coverage around the uh, the making up in front of the press of Dominic West and his wife. But there's a project as well uh, uh, linked to this, isn't there? Yeah, it's been a fun distraction for the tabloids over the last uh, few days. Um, but behind it all sits a show called The Pursuit of Love, uh, which is made by Open Book and Moonage Pictures. It's one of the sort of buzzier shows of the of the Cannes market this year. It's an adaptation of uh, Nancy Mitford's classic novel. Uh, and uh, is being made for the BBC and Amazon. From the sounds of it, it sounds really fun. I've seen a little bit. They showed a little bit during a uh, BBC Studios session on the uh, MIPCOM Online Plus platform. Uh, Emily Mortimer, who is adapting the novel and directing the show, talked about how it's going to be inspired by Sophia Coppola's films, uh, particularly Marie Antoinette, which uh, is clearly broke some rules of tr- sort of traditional period dramas things like uh you know Mar- <laughs> Marie Antoinette, Antoinette running running down a hallway in in her converse doesn't uh, you know the, 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 some, there's definitely some some rule breaking some subverting of the genre going on and i think we'll probably see some of that in the pursuit of love as well um but yeah during during this session uh it was interesting to see that lily james was looking on longingly and gazing at uh, Dominic West it's something I actually noticed before the stories about their sort of their tryst came out in the press uh it was quite noticeable uh, funnily enough but uh in the drama he plays her dad so that's uh, a <laughs> an unusual twist it certainly is that's a a very buzzy show in many ways I've also seen that you've uh, you've highlighted a, a a new film about a water shortage crisis been shot by Fremantle. Yeah, I mean, so it, it was shot. So Fremantle are distributing uh, around the world, and uh, it was actually made by Keo Films and a company called uh, OOS Pictures. Uh, but it's an unusual one. It's 
been filmed over a period of three years. Uh, there's a guy called David Wallerstein who has personally financed the shoot. And he is one of the earliest executives at the Chinese tech giant Tencent. He's got a very grand job title. He's called Chief Exploration Officer. Quite what that means, I'm not sure. <laughs> but it sounds great on paper. His, it's kind of his brainchild. He, he was uh, tired. I mean, he, 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 he sort of developed a real fascination with uh, the Earth's uh, water shortage crisis and wanted to unbury uh, dry information from white papers in a quite chastening and dramatic film. And that's what they hope to do with uh, with Day Zero. And they've got a really good director involved, a guy called Kevin Sim, who has won uh, Emmys in the past and was clearly, when I spoke to him, was really passionate about the project. And uh, they've got Chibatel Ejivor involved as well to do the narration. That one sounds, uh, the timing for that as well, when we're all thinking about sustainability, is uh, is also an interesting one. So uh, look forward to seeing how that one develops. And you've also got the scoops on a, a on a couple of big brand stories in TV this week. Yeah, so away from the market. I mean, I think some of the, <laughs> some of the biggest stories actually have been uh, away from MIPCOM, which is unfortunate for MIPCOM, but uh, sometimes the way it goes, isn't it? And I mean, it's clear that, coronavirus is having a big impact on production i mean we know that obviously we've gone through a period where production has been shut down for for many months and now we're in a period where uh, a lot of shows are back up and running but are having to deal with the consequences of even just small numbers of crew and cast uh, testing positive for the disease and uh, the the inevitability of that is that they have to pause and apply the brakes for a period of time and this has impacted um britain's got talent this week so deadline uh, broke the story yesterday about the fact that the christmas special had to be shut down the the e on the eve of uh, filming commencing uh, our three crew members tested positive for coronavirus and sources tell me that it's now very unlikely that that show is going to be made and uh, it won't probably won't be until next year if they if they do decide to remount it they'll do it again next year perhaps and we've seen it again today on uh, a show with little mix which uh, little mix are making for uh, bbc one it's called little mix the search and again there has been a small number of uh, positive tests and they are postponing this saturday's episode and not returning until the weekend after and it just gives you a sense of the balls that producers are having to juggle i mean it's it's um a very complicated jigsaw that they're having to work and just a handful of uh, cases can completely derail a production and then the other the other, the other big story that that we've been covering is uh, the fact that Kira Knightley had to pull out of a uh, very uh, glossy, uh, ambitious Apple period drama uh, called The Essex Serpent. And uh, I mean, she had literally been announced in the lead role uh, only a few weeks ago, but has decided to pull out because she doesn't think, think that she can manage her childcare uh, because of the second wave of coronavirus in the UK. She gave the producers notice. Uh, they had to halt pre-production. They were planning to get cameras rolling at the end of November, but the show has gone completely on hiatus now and won't be returning probably until next year with a new lead cast member. 
Well, I mean, as you say, it, it really highlights the, you know, the the challenges that particularly drama producers are facing now when uh, when they're going into pre-production and, and and making all these new arrangements for uh, a COVID-safe production, and and then right at the final hurdle, almost uh, when they're about to uh, actually start filming, rolling is is if to get those. Positive tests. It, it must be, you know, absolutely shattering for many people. So our thoughts go out to them and uh, and uh, and many other producers out there who are also making shows without insurance. Because some of these territories, we 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 talked about it the other day in Spain, for example. There's uh, there's no real insurance scheme in place, and there's a lot of production still happening there on uh, on big budget uh, productions. We wish them all the best. And uh, it, it's uh, it's obviously a, a very difficult time to, to navigate through uh, uh, making shows in, at the moment. Fantastic. Jake, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show this week. It was fascinating to hear some of those really wide-ranging stories and and giving us a, uh, a last look at MIPCOM before we, uh, we look ahead and hopefully to MIP TV coming together as a as a physical market you never know hopefully we'll keep all our fingers crossed thank you again for coming on and i'll speak to you soon thanks for having me on appreciate it so to wrap up our final mipcom special episode i thought it might be appropriate just to think for a moment about the impact that mipcom and various other events not happening has on a conference town such as cam And there are lots of businesses in the city that rely on trade from international travellers. And one that might be particularly familiar to many MIPCOM and MIPTV attendees is Brown Sugar, the gastropub that's situated on the Rue de Frere Pradignac. I hope I've got that pronunciation right. The street just behind the Grand Hotel. And I've certainly spent many a happy and late evening there after dinner with friends and colleagues over the years. It has to be the best post-dinner bar in camp. And I'm delighted to be joined by the owner of Brown Sugar, Gary Gregg. Gary, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. I'm fine. And um, thanks for inviting me onto the show. No, it's, it's great to have you on. We, we'd lo- all love to be in Cannes right now. I'm certainly missing it. Lots of my colleagues are as well. Tell us about the current restrictions that are in place in Cannes right now. I, I think the, the restrictions we have is quite similar to yourselves uh, in the UK. We're probably about um, two weeks ahead of you in terms of different restrictions being implemented. Um, right now, the, the bars have to close at 10 o'clock right. uh, at 10 p.m. and the bars restaurants have to close at 12.30 so we fall into the, the bar restaurant category. So thankfully, we, we're still open until 12.30. It, it is very challenging, though, because as you know, and as you just said yourself, we are a late night bar. So the majority of our business is done between, let's say, 11 o'clock in the evening until 2.30 in the morning. So we're closed where we would normally be doing 50% of our trade. And obviously, this has been the case, or it, it, some form of restrictions have been in place for quite a few months now, right? And obviously, the lack of conferences that come into Cannes has been a major effect on your business. Can you take us through that, how COVID's affected your business this year? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Let's take it from the beginning and take it from the beginning of 2020. We we decided to close this year in January, February, simply because we we had so many uh, bookings and privatizations during the the various congresses. We, we felt it was the the one moment we had to um, s- sort of take a break. 
that was a that wasn't a very smart choice. <laughs> right. So we, we we reopened the bar on the first of March, and by the fifteenth of March, we went into lockdown for a period of ten weeks. Fifteenth of March, you'd normally normally the first congress would be starting, which would be um, MIPIM, which is a real estate congress. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But that's actually, in, in monetary terms, it's our biggest week, and not just for us, but for many bars and restaurants. So after a quiet winter, that sort of kicks off your season and gives businesses the liquidity um, to, um, to, to, to to push forward. So mm. it's, it's, it's a very, very, very difficult situation for everybody because they didn't get that initial injection uh, at the beginning of the season that we would normally have. Right. Then we come into April, and of course, no Mid TV, as as you know, no Cannes Film Festival this year, um, no Cannes Lions, the advertising festival, which is is probably our second biggest, um, second or first actually, uh, biggest um, biggest week, and um, yeah. So from the fifteenth of March to the second of June, we were we were closed um, totally. Um, right. Fortunately, we could open from the second of June and trade normally throughout the um, throughout the, um, the summer season. Right. Uh, then the restrictions with the early closing started from around. Oh, Trying to remember now, probably around the first week of September. So at least on the positive side, we had the summer. <laughs> Are there any business bailout packages available to businesses such as yours in France? Well, the, 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 there is, but the, the bailout packages, you know, at the end of the day, you do have to, you have to pay the money back. You need mm-hmm. to remember this. Because we had to close, of course, we furloughed everybody and, and took advantage of the furlough scheme. Uh, but we, we made the decision uh, not to go for any grants or any loans, which we would have to look to pay back at a, at a, at a later date. So we decided to try to, to try to manage, try to manage as best as we could. And how about the wider business community in Cannes? I mean, when we come back to Cannes, uh, and I'm saying we mm-hmm. in terms of the TV industry, when uh, when hopefully we're there at MIP TV or, or maybe MIPCOM next October, will it be the same? Will it look the same? Or, or do, do we expect a number of businesses not to be there? How has the wider business community coped? I, th- I think it's a little bit too early to say. Um, I don't see... Uh, bars and restaurants going bankrupt and, and closing down today. I, I see many have, have decided to close for the winter, which is probably uh, a smart idea because they can take advantage of the furlough and they just have to worry about covering the, covering the rent costs. So I can understand why some businesses have strategically decided to to close their business. But, you know, you have a town with, according to TripAdvisor, 700 restaurants and we're, we have a population of 70,000. Something's got to give. Something is going to happen. Something is going to happen, most definitely. And, and presumably, there just isn't the off-season trade, there isn't the local trade to sustain all these businesses through the winter months or during the times when conferences can't come to camp. Uh, absolutely, we don't have a circular economy. We, we, we can thrives from tourism, and it, it, it thrives from the international community, which uh, which come to Cannes. So we can't self-support ourselves. Maybe we're a little bit fortunate at Brown Sugar that we we, we have a relatively large expatriate community who who live down here, especially people working 
on the super yachts and in the yachting industry. So we do have we do have our locals, but um, this month, just to give you an idea, we're probably looking at about a seventy percent decrease in sales. Yeah. Fortunately, we actually increased our sales in the summer in July, uh, June, July, August. So that compared to last year, but on the back of being basically close to five months before that, it's um, yeah, it's, it's it's tough. It's tough. Listen, we're all you know really hoping that uh, that you can uh, you can make it through the 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 quiet times and uh, and you know once we we get back to can which is hopefully sooner rather than later then uh, you know i'm sure there's going to be a big party when we all uh, can come back together again as a community and and enjoy being together and absolutely brown sugar is certainly going to be uh, the place that's uh, going to be number one on uh, on the list for us to, <laughs> to be visiting after dinner so that's nice that's nice of you to say justin I've, I've, I've painted quite a bleak picture, if I can paint quite a positive picture for a moment. What's been nice during the lockdown and during the last few months is the amount of customers and friends from around the world who I've been in contact with from Australia, America, the UK, Denmark. And I, I know the bar means a lot to many people. And um, We've, we've got a strategy. We, we expect it to be very difficult for the next few months, but we certainly expect to, to be here in the future, and we certainly expect things to pick up again in the future. All right. Well, that's reassuring to know. Gary, best of luck with everything. Have a, have a good winter. Thank you very much. And, you know, we, uh, we can't wait to see you again when, uh, when the sun starts shining in uh, 2021. I'm sure we'll be here, Justin, and, and, and uh, good luck with your business as well. And, um yeah, it's, 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 nice to, it's nice to have a chat. It really, really is. It means a lot. Thank you. Thanks so much. Well, that's all for our third and final MythCon special show. Thanks to all my guests for coming on these bonus shows. And if you haven't had enough of me already this week, our regular telecast is out tomorrow. And my guests are Richard Tulkhart, co-CEO of Buccaneer Media, and David Michel, co-founder of Federation Entertainment, and founder and president of Cottonwood Media. Plus, TBI's Richard Middleton joins me for a new feature called Movers and Shakers, and K7 Media's Gertz Leases looks at different COVID-safe approaches to filming studio shows at the moment, including some tweaks to some of the best-known TV formats. Until then, stay safe.